Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island-based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. Find us on Facebook and at oceanstateboardclub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 815. Well, this is not a sports show, but a few weeks ago we started off with a baseball reference about the Cleveland team maybe changing its name to a bird nickname, the Cleveland Crows. And then it was football through a conservation salute to the Miami Dolphins. And today we're back to baseball again, thanks to our friend and Talking Birds ambassador, Muffy Schwartz in Baltimore, who says she, says she has a big idea for us. She says, you mentioned the Cleveland Major League Baseball team in the current search for a more appropriate name. The name Crows is a bad idea. Why? Because everybody's got crows, nothing special, but crested caracara. Now there's a bird that screams 100 mile an hour fastball. When I went to the Texas coast, she says, for spring fallout, I met a pair of caracaras up close and personal. They conjure up the feeling of a zinger, high and inside. I think the name Cleveland Caracaras would give the team some much-needed swagger. Cleveland went 35-25 and 25 this year. They could use some chutzpah. In fact, couldn't we all, says Muffy Schwartz down in Baltimore. Thank you, Muffy. The Cleveland Caracaras kind of has a nice ring to it, and they do sound rather fierce. They might put a scare, Muffy, into your Baltimore Orioles. Here in our Talking Birds home state of Massachusetts, raptor expert Paul Roberts put up a post on the Mass Bird List Serve this week about an observation in a very birdy place just north of Boston called Plum Island that went like this. Julie and I were on Plum Island on January 8th and observed a rather heavily barred snowy owl sitting out there in the marsh roughly 100 yards from the refuge road where it appeared relatively safe from human harassment. I was photographing it while Julie was admiring it through the scope at 60 power when she asked, What is the owl doing? The owl had stretched out, apparently flat on its belly, looking like a penguin about to slide off a rock into the water. But the wings were held tightly to the body. I sagely suggested perhaps it had seen a vole or mouse approach and was stretching slowly to snatch it, similar in behavior to a heron. Then I saw a movement in the top of my field of view. An adult bald eagle was rapidly approaching from the south, perhaps 60 feet off the ground. The owl had obviously seen the eagle and had flattened itself into what looked like a small melting pile of snow. The eagle flew directly overhead and passed, seemingly oblivious to the feathered snow pile. The owl craned its neck to follow the eagle and then stood up, eyes fixed on the now fast-disappearing eagle. The owl then assumed the normal, relaxed, vertical posture it had had less than a minute earlier. I've seen similar behavior by squirrels attempting to avoid a hawk, 
but had never seen a snowy react this way before. That's from a post by Paul Roberts about his observation up north of Boston at Plum Island, home of the Parker River National Wildlife Refuge. And thank you, Paul. Well, speaking of the Boston area, we're very excited today to welcome a new radio station affiliate to the Talkin' Birds family this morning. It's Boston's legendary WMEX 1510 AM, carrying our show live starting today and continuing every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10 Eastern. And by the way, their signal is amazing. You can hear it way up north of Boston, all along the coast, way up into Maine. Welcome, WMEX 1510 AM. That may sound kind of familiar based on that Paul Roberts story we were just talking about. That's a kind of a little hint, but not too specific a one. This is our Mystery Bird Preview. We'll do the contest in just a little bit, and we'll give away a beautiful Droll Yankees New Generation 13-inch metal finch sock that combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal, and it comes with the Droll Yankees lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. And a bonus prize of a 12-ounce bag of bird-friendly, delicious, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Our bird is a raptor that forages mostly at night for prey like mice, moles, shrews, and small rabbits flying in a moth-like manner with slow wing beats. Our bird has mottled light and dark brown upper parts and dark streaked pale buff underparts. Its large head features a large round buff-colored facial disc with black around the bright yellow eyes and small ear tufts. In North America, our mystery bird breeds from Alaska and Canada, south to Nebraska and Nevada, and it winters across most of the U.S. and down into Mexico. And there it is again. It's our mystery bird. That's a preview of our contest uh, coming along here in just uh, a little bit on this morning's show. Here's a royal salute to two more Talking Birds ambassadors who are trying to help us do what we're trying to do, which is to spread the good word about birds and bird conservation and conservation in general. And thank you to Chuck G. from Trumbull, Connecticut. Chuck says he listens to the podcast every week, and thank you for that, Chuck, and thanks for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thanks to Mary Bauman from Powell, Wyoming. She says, my husband and I are avid backyard and beyond bird watchers. We love your podcast. And she likes the sound effects on the show here. Do we have a sound effect? There's one in the, uh, right now, as a matter of fact. Thank you so much, Mary. And shortly after Mary joined our ambassador's family, we heard him from a member of her family, her husband, Jeff, who has also become a Talking Birds ambassador. Jeff reports that they feed birds in their yard there in Wyoming about 100 pounds of sunflower seeds per month and enjoy watching them through the seasons. Wow. Well, thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Mary. And Talking Birds listeners, if you're not an ambassador, we hope you'll think of becoming one and maybe actually do it. It's really easy to do. Just ask Jeff and Mary and Chuck. Just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, and uh, go to the Get Involved tab at the top of the home page to sign up and become a Talking Birds ambassador. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with the extraordinary 
bird artist and scientific illustrator Liz Clayton Fuller, and will make her appearance kind of a multi uh, multimedia event. If you go to TalkingBirds.com right now, you'll be able to see the photos uh, and a short time-lapse video of one of Liz's paintings in progress and a bunch of other beautiful bird paintings that Liz has done. You can also see that on our Facebook page. Also today, we'll present an almost live from the archive installment of Let's Ask Mike with Mike O'Connor. And up next, a bird whose descriptive name leaves no doubt that it's very small is today's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. What do the following have in common? Jeffrey, Bishop, Coulter, Montezuma, Monterey, Apache, and Chihuahua. Well, they're all types of pine trees. And they're all known to host today's featured feathered friend, the pygmy nuthatch. On last week's show, our Freya McGregor sent us an audio postcard featuring a relative of this bird. That was the tiny brown-headed nuthatch. But the pygmy nuthatch is even smaller, just slightly larger than a golden-crowned kinglet and weighing not much more than a couple of nickels. The pygmy nuthatch is bluish-gray above with a clearly defined brown crown on its large head. It has a white throat buff-colored underparts, and a sharp, straight bill. It's a year-round resident of Washington, Idaho, and Montana, and in scattered populations through a wide western swath all the way down to southern Mexico. Pygmies forage by climbing trunks and branches of pine trees, probing under bark and in needle clusters for insects and seeds, and they often mix with chickadees and other songbirds, including those little kinglets. Pygmy nuthatches are social birds that engage in cooperative breeding, and they roost communally in tree cavities. In fact, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology says that there are no records of pygmy nuthatches roosting alone, and 100 or more have been observed huddling together in a single roost hole. It's Sida pygmea, the pygmy nuthatch, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 815. Well, Liz Clayton Fuller is a scientific illustrator specializing in birds and creating some beautiful bird art in the process and uh, teaching folks how to do something similar <laughs> or make a good <laughs> attempt at it. She joins us on the phone right now from Nashville, Tennessee. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> you are you are more than welcome. It's a delight to have you on the show. And we'll talk about some of those courses that you have to offer uh, in a minute here. But I wanted to talk about your love of nature and art that you describe as having all your life and as your two great passions or two great passions. How important was your love of nature in making you want to create art? Or are they sort of independent of one another? Yeah, so my mom always says that, you know, <laughs> ever since I could hold a crayon, I've been drawing. So mm. art has always been a huge part of my life, and I've always been 
playing outside, but I actually, you know, I kind of came to birds through art. You know, I was an artist first, and now I'm an avid birder, and now I paint birds, which is, you know, the best of both worlds. But I actually, um, you know, bought a bird book in my undergrad, and I was like, oh, they're so pretty. That's great. And then once you start looking at birds and looking around, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're everywhere. I can see birds wherever I am. And I just fell in love and started painting my local birds, and I haven't stopped since. (laughs) Plenty of material from which to choose always, right? No kidding. (laughs) Well, we put some of your beautiful paintings up on our website, uh, Liz, and on our Facebook page, too, so listeners can have the option of uh, looking at some, excuse me, of your work while we're talking about it and there's a a, a little a video there it's just about two minutes long and it starts out with one of your paintings in progress there right a white ibis four white ibis there and then headshots of uh, northern sawhead owl and a great blue heron and eastern toey and then you have three popular backyard birds there carolina chickadee white-breasted nuthatch and a tufted titmouse and then a red-breasted uh Woodpecker, a red-bellied woodpecker. Right. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> I, I hesitate calling it red belly since we always say we can't really see much red on there, but uh, that's a beautiful bird. In, <laughs> in, in any case, um, so so Liz, uh, courses and workshops. You're doing a lot of these with Cornell Lab and the Tennessee Naturalist Program, and in your own workshops. Tell us a, a bit about those. That's right. So I have a class um, through the Cornell Lab of Ornithology with Bird Academy called Nature Journaling and Field Sketching. Um, and if y'all are one of those folks, you know, who says you you, you can't draw, this course is for you. <laughs> it's for absolute beginners. Um, and I walk you through the basics of drawing and sketching and drawing accurately um, and doing some watercolor painting as well. And then I've got a course it's just a day with the Tennessee Naturalist Program in March, which is just like a crash course beginner workshop. So, um, yeah, I definitely welcome you all to join me. <laughs> yeah, I know you've said you really particularly like to uh, work with beginners. Maybe they're not uh, jaded or haven't gotten any bad habits in painting. Is that any part of it? <laughs> <laughs> that actually is a big part of it. It's, it's nice to... It's, you know, it seems scary to start from scratch because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but actually it's ideal because that's exactly right, Ray. You haven't built in any bad habits yet, so you can kind of build your drawing practice from the ground up and start with the good practices. And yeah, I love working with beginners because I just, art art can be for everyone. You know, there's this kind of mythology about art that it's a gift and you either got it or you don't but i absolutely don't believe that i think that with some time and some practice and some guidance anyone can be an artist so um yeah i love i love having beginners in my classes <laughs> well well i'm a beginner I'm, I'm doing a little drawing course and uh, i was fascinated and kind of surprised to find out you know the technique that's involved and i almost felt like it was cheating a little bit because you're you know you're not just <laughs> creating this thing from your head you're you're actually laying down shapes and so forth and and taking it from there and then creating something from it right yeah that's exactly right i i kind of like to call it um seeing like an artist you know it seems really intimidating to 
say, look at a bird and be like, gosh, this is so beautiful and so complicated. How do I get this down on my page? And there are lots of tips and tricks that you can break that bird down into simple shapes and relationships and even just ways of literally how do you touch your pencil to paper that's going to give you the most success. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is kind of, it seems it seems sneaky, but that's how, <laughs> that's how the pros do it. So. That's, that, that's, the, that's the, little, the little secret there. Well, going right. back to those white ibis, uh, the, the pictures of the, uh, the white ibis painting in progress there, you, you do a thing on Twitch, I believe, what, three times a week where people can watch you paint and even talk to you while you're painting? That's right. Yeah. So you can find me at twitch.tv slash I paint burbs. And that's B-I-R-B-S just because I was being a little cheeky when I started the account. (laughs) Um, But yeah, three times a week. um, It's kind of like I invite folks into my studio to come hang out and chat with me while I paint birds. We can talk about my process. We can talk about birds. And it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay. It's twitch.tv and again, it's I paint burbs in that last, uh, well, it's B-I-R-B as in boy, S. Yes, so we, <laughs> that's right. We'll never forget that, I paint burbs. Uh, that's right. <laughs> and that's at uh, twitch.tv. Uh, by the way, how, uh, getting back to that idea of people not thinking they can draw or paint, mm-hmm. is it common to find people who think that and then it turns out they really have some really innate talent? I think it is, and it's also, you know, I, I I end up teaching a lot of folks who are already interested in nature and bird birding, so they kind of have, they have the artist's eye already, but they don't realize it. You know, there's something about watching wildlife that comes with an attention to detail that really lends itself to drawing and to painting. So, yeah, I think a lot of folks are... Um, surprised actually at how easy these concepts come to them and you know it definitely takes practice but Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks are definitely um, shocked at what they can do when they didn't think that they could. (laughs) Wow that's so cool well we want to invite folks to visit your website and see more of your spectacular bird art and learn more about the courses and check out a lot of other cool things you have there and that is LizClaytonFuller.com Clayton is C-L-A-Y-T-O-N Liz Clayton Fuller.com. And Liz, thanks so much for being with us and thank you for the your encouragement there for us would be artists. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks so much for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Liz Clayton Fuller here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to cross a few species off your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you want to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com.
Here's the kind of scary sound of our mystery bird. It's a raptor that forages mostly at night for prey like mice, moles, shrews, small rabbits, fly in a moth-like manner with slow wing beats. Our bird has mottled light and dark brown upper parts and dark streaked pale buff underparts. Its large head features a round buff-colored facial disc with black around the bright yellow eyes and small ear tufts. In North America, our bird breeds from Alaska and Canada down to Nebraska and Nevada, and it winters across most of the U.S. and down into Mexico. Clues and the sound of our mystery bird and beautiful prizes await. If you can identify that bird or take a guess at it, and uh, you'll win in a drawing if nobody gets the right answer. Prizes include the new generation 13-inch metal finch sock from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. And yes, it does come with the Droll Yankees lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Bonus prize, a 12-ounce bag of bird-friendly birds and beans coffee. It's the coffee that's not only delicious, but also contributes to the survival of many species of birds in their tropical wintering grounds. Because the coffee is shade-grown under the natural forest canopy that provides birds with shelter and food. Prizes there on our Mystery Bird Contest. And as we said, getting the right answer makes you a winner. Getting a not-quite-right answer could also do the same if nobody gets the exact answer. So do give it a try. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. Let's ask Mike, coming up here in just one minute. It's time again already for New Year's resolutions. Have you resolved to improve your birding skills? Maybe dive deeper into ornithology study? With one of the largest selections of birding books in the world, Beautio Books offers everything from backyard birding books to general ornithology, from field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all and a whole lot more in one convenient place, beautyobooks.com. That's B-U-T-E-O, beautyobooks.com. I'm Camille Petreca from Weathersfield, Connecticut. I wanted to be a Talking Birds ambassador to tell other people about the show and about the website. I talk to people about the show and I say, you know, you can be an ambassador too, just like I am. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkinBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Down to beautiful Cape Cod, where the transition from southwest U.S. is not bad for Mike O'Connor because it's always in the 70s and sunny down there in the Cape. Good morning, Mike. You're absolutely right about that. It's beautiful yeah. here. So, uh, you have 70 degrees in, well, in the house. It's 70 degrees. <laughs> in. But I'm, I'm back from the southwest, yeah. which was awesome. Oh, my God. The sun was out every day. It was like perfect weather. And I can see why people do that trip once in a while because it is really nice. It was really yeah. But I went down there to see, you know, I had to do a little business, but I also, of course, wanted to do some birding, and we did the southwest, and we saw the usual roadrunners and cactus friends and a lot of hummingbirds. But my goal was to see um, California condor, and I think a lot of folks know that they were pretty much gone. As a matter of fact, they were gone for a while. Uh, uh, back in the 80s, there were 10 wild condors left in the entire world, mm. and they captured those, and they started a breeding program, and they've been releasing them over the 
decades since. And now there's a couple of hundred flying free and maybe a, a few dozen nests, birds nesting on their own. And I had heard that the best place to see them was the Grand Canyon, so I was heading towards the Grand Canyon, and then uh, halfway through the trip I realized that that's, they're only really there in the summertime on the southern rim of the Grand Canyon, you know, where everybody goes. That's kind of their summer hangout, and this clearly wasn't summer. But there is a place north of the Grand Canyon called uh, Vermilion Cliffs National Monument. It's about an hour east of uh, Lake Powell in the town of Page. It's, it's, an equal, it's actually, I thought it was even more beautiful than the Grand Canyon, and there's zero people there. You can drive down the road this time of year, and there was, I didn't see a single car. So we were heading that way, and, you know, this is like, okay, maybe we'll see something, maybe we won't, but it's a long drive. And then all of a sudden my wife says, what's that? And I pulled over, and right above us, there wasn't. There were ten California condors just acting just like vultures, you know, wow. circling high in the wind, and they they were so big and so fast. Like we pulled over, and there they were, and then in a nanosecond they just glided up, and they were they're basically gone. They were, that's how quickly they went. But then we continued on to this area, these, these cliffs, which wasn't far away, and then you could see them sitting up in the cliffs, and then they would fly down. We could get some pictures, but it was really, really, really interesting to see this bird that were basically gone in the wild. And then, and this is like a way to find, I mean, some of these rare birds, you have to camp out and do all these crazy things. There you could just drive out to this location and you got a pretty good chance of seeing them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're doing better. They're coming back. I think I think you've discussed on your show one of the bigger problems is lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hunters shoot stuff and they don't always get everything and, and then the condors eat the, the the carrion, and then they ingest the lead, and that's really the biggest problem with these yeah. birds and, right now. And, and even when there are bans on lead, uh, uh, birds fly, as they say, so birds can come from other areas or go to other areas where there isn't a ban on lead shot. Yeah. Well, you're correct. These birds yeah. actually go as far as ways Wyoming. They just, you know, when they're not on their breeding territories, they just, they just, you know, fly around and wander aimlessly because there's no, <laughs> they're not like us. They don't have to go home and recharge their cell phones or anything. So they just travel around, and like I said, and then they get into other places where they haven't instituted these bands. Mm-hmm. And they used to be out our way. They used to be in the east back mm-hmm. in the old days, back you know, back tens of thousands of years ago, even before you were born, right? And, um, they, and, and they used to actually feed on, like, mastodons and saber-toothed tigers and all those yeah. big uh, prehistoric creatures. I remember but, seeing them as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right, but those things have died out, yeah. probably of smoking. So they <laughs> now they're just confined to this area. But if you guys ever do a trip, uh, I would recommend this. If Vermilion Cliffs north of the Grand Canyon, it's a wonderful place. Vermilion Cliffs. All right. Well, those condors used to be here, but don't look for them on the Cape, Mike. Not anymore. No, no, no right. too expensive here now. Talk to you next week. Okay. Mike O'Connor, there at the Birdwatchers General Store. Birdwatching Magazine has a new membership program. Benefits include detailed bird ID articles from Ken Kaufman and David Sibley, tips and stories about bird photography, access to quarterly e-workshops on identifying and photographing birds, and complimentary print and digital subscriptions to Birdwatching Magazine. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com slash memberships. Welcome back to the Mystery Bird Contest presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. 
Our mystery bird, a raptor that forages mostly at night for prey like mice and voles, moles and shrews and small rabbits, flying in a moth-like manner with slow wing beats. What might it be and win those beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and Birds and Beans Coffee? And uh, Rita is going to give that a try. Then she is calling us from Drayton Valley, Alberta, Canada. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. Good morning. And, you know, when I saw that Drayton Valley, Alberta, Canada, that really stood out. That's not an, an address that we see that often around here. <laughs> <laughs> and another reason is because, uh, recognizing that, you just uh, became, maybe I was it yesterday, a, a new Talking Birds ambassador. Am I correct? I did, yes. Well, yeah. Thank you so much uh, for that. Drayton Valley is, uh, where is that uh, exactly? It's west of Edmonton. Just west of Edmonton, Drayton Valley, yeah. Alberta, Canada, home of our friend Charlotte Wasilek. She's uh, up that way as well. And Vermilion, do you know Vermilion by any chance? Oh, yeah, Vermilion. It's a little ways from here, mm -hmm. but yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We've got to get on to our mystery bird contest here, don't we? What do you uh, What do you say that bird might be, Rita? I'm guessing a short-eared owl. You are, boy. Boy, you you guys know stuff up there in Alberta. I tell you. Short-eared owl is absolutely right. Nice job, Rita. We have a lot of darkness here, so we get a lot of owls. <laughs> <laughs> Taking advantage of that darkness. All right. Rita, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Rita, correctly identifying the short-eared owl, and we are really, really out of time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com By Vortex Optics With the VIP warranty Their unlimited lifetime promise To keep you and your optic covered Learn more at VortexOptics.com And Beautio Books An independent family owned bookstore Carrying one of the largest selections Of birding books in the world BeautioBooks.com And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club, a Rhode Island-based club of passionate birders like you. Become a member and check out the fall edition of our newsletter. Find us on Facebook and at OceanStateBirdClub.org.